Hello and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Philippe Naren and I'm joined as always by Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Fergal, today we're going to talk a bit more about opioids and in particular talk a bit about definitions and what dependency and addiction are and also what opioid use disorder is. Now, here's a bit of a curly question for you, Fergal, because these two terms are used almost as synonyms, but they are slightly different. What is your understanding of the difference between dependency and addiction? <laughs> they are vastly different. <laughs> I beg your forgiveness, Philippe, but they are significantly different. Dependence is a, is a neurobiological state that is predicated on tolerance and withdrawal. And if, if dependence was all there was to substances, then we could quite legitimately chuck people with heroin use disorder or heroin addiction into prison for seven days and then release them and they would walk out cured because dependence, i.e. the withdrawal state for opioids, generally only lasts seven days. Now, if we push that allegory further, and so that these patients who've been treated for their dependence are then released from prison, they will go back home and they will have the same cues that they experienced that previously perpetuated and drove their heroin use, for instance. Or their opioid use. And these cues can be visual and emotional and, and, and uh, olfactory, you know, walking down the street, seeing the old friends, being in the old neighbor neighborhoods, thinking about what you used to get up to. That's one set of cues. And then another trigger for use can be stress. And so we need to talk about these triggers. So cueing and stress, right? But exposure to these triggers will then, of course, as we all know, trigger a relapse or has a high likelihood of triggering a relapse back into heroin use and misuse. So we have, if, if, we're constant, if we only think about heroin use in terms of dependence, we are allowing ourselves to basically facilitate repeated episodes of relapse and withdrawal, relapse and treatment from dependency. Whereas if we consider uh, the, the, the use of the misuse of heroin as an addiction, we can understand it in terms of a chronic neurological brain disease associated with relapse. So it's a chronic relapsing disease that, that, that progresses over time. We understand that addiction encompasses all of the psychosocial dysfunction that is not adequately described or, or delineated by the two words tolerance and withdrawal, which of course are the substrates for dependence. So addiction is the entire patient. Dependence is simply the action of opioids on mu receptors. And Fergal, we, we know with opioids as well, and uh, op opioids are used in a variety of situations, but say in the chronic pain setting where someone has a pain disorder and they're on opioids for their chronic pain. We know after six to eight weeks of use, you can become dependent on your opioids, but that doesn't mean that you're addicted to opioids. It's treating a condition. So yeah. 
like you were mentioning, it's quite possible to be dependent on opioids when you're taking them as prescribed for a medical condition, but that does not necessarily mean one is addicted. Is that a fair real world analogy? Absolutely. And, you know, part of my uh, professional career is in general practice, and I see in my medical software the label, the diagnostic label, sometimes flash up drug-dependent patient. That simply refers to patients who are neurobiologically adapted to the presence of opioids in their brain. It doesn't in any way denote any pejorative diagnosis. It doesn't denote addiction, and it certainly doesn't denote aberrancy or any of the psychosocial dysfunction that is associated with substance use disorder or opioid use disorder. And in fact, that, that definition of drug-dependent really delineates people with, uh, or it separates out those patients with a prescription opioid use disorder compared to those patients who have an opioid use disorder and are dependent on non-prescription opioids, or at least non-illicit opioids. Would you care to talk about the DSM-5 and the distinction between prescription opioid use disorder and opioid use disorder? Absolutely. So with the DSM-5, there are 11 criteria for opioid use disorder. And usually the severity depends on how many of those criteria one, one meets. So usually if you've got two to three criteria, you've got a mild opioid use disorder. Um, four to five, it's moderate, and six to 11, it's a severe opioid use disorder. Now, Fergal, uh, I know you love your acronyms, and I know that you've already got a very catchy acronym. Uh, Chew that cop, I believe, uh, for uh, opioid use disorder. Uh, I can never quite remember all the (laughs) words of chew that cop, but would you indulge me by going through that one more time for, for me and the viewers? All right, chew that cop, here goes, right. C for cut down, H for persistent use despite hazards, E for escalating amounts, W for withdrawal, that, T-H-A-T, so T for tolerance, H the second H, so persistent use despite health consequences, A for activity, so a loss of activities, focusing in on the saliency of drug use, T, um, time, and then we have COP, C-O-P, This is the second C, so first we had the inability to cut down, then we have ongoing cravings, and then O for obligations, the inability to meet obligations, and P, personal relationships, the loss thereof. And there are a number of things to say about those diagnostic criteria. So firstly, I was alluding to the difference between prescription opioid use disorder and and, uh, opioid use disorder. So the physiological criteria in Chew That Cop are tolerance and withdrawal. Now, you've said that you need at least two um, criteria to make at least the diagnosis of mild opioid use disorder. But for in, in the context of prescription opioid use disorder, you cannot use tolerance and withdrawal. No. You have to have at least two criteria from the other nine. So that's the first thing to say is that you cannot use tolerance and withdrawal to diagnose Um, prescription opioid use disorder because it's perfectly reasonable for patients to develop a tolerance to the opioids that they are prescribed by their doctors and to have withdrawal symptoms every time they stop the opioids that are prescribed by their doctors and they're not in any way aberrant they have no other use disorder phenomena. The second thing that, that really strikes me about that definition is the loss of relationships. 
for me, it, the loss of relationships is the hallmark of addiction. When we become addicted to substances, we, we give up everything in our lives, including our relationships, for the sake of one thing without that substance. And so we lose our meaningful validating our social connections, our social relationships. We lose our identity, and our identity is closely inter interwoven with our relationships. And then when we contemplate recovery, we then have to search out those validating relationships once again. Once again. So the loss of relationships defines addiction. The regaining of relationships, for me, defines recovery. Absolutely. And one can see just by how extensive the the diagnosis is of opioid use disorder, all the realms of your life that ultimately a severe opioid use disorder takes over and the multiple things that one has to address. Um, you mentioned earlier in the episode about how if, if addiction was just like dependency, all we'd have to do is put someone in either a prison or a hospital for seven days and we've done our job versus addiction, which is very much that biopsychosocial model of care where we have a condition, a chronic disease that's affecting multiple spheres and we have to meet with, deal with and help the patient in all those spheres to adequately conquer the disease. Is that fair? Absolutely. And there's a, there's a really, there's a couple of important points that I want to bring out in that discussion from what you've just said. And I, I used, when I was describing the analogy of dependence as locking people up, I used the word prison deliberately. You said hospital or prison. I said prison deliberately, and I wanted to make this point. There's a lot of people out there who think that patients with substance use disorder are just drug addicts. They've made bad choices, they've brought it on themselves, and, and society should punish them for their poor choices. They should be locked up and the key thrown away. There are multiple defenses, defenses against that viewpoint, but one of the arguments against that viewpoint is that if you just lock people up, i.e. You, you, you get rid of their dependence, the minute they are released, then they, will, they are prone to suffering relapse because you have not provided them with the psychosocial resilience to withstand the triggers for a repeated ongoing use. Right? And so my use of the word prison was deliberate. The second thing I want to talk about triggers. So, you know, dopamine gives us the joy of drug use, right? That's why drugs are fun, because it creates a dopamine rush. Not only does drug use give us a dopamine rush, but even the mere act of remembering previous drug use also gives us a dopamine rush, which is why when we are walking through our old haunts, the memory of previous drug use gives us the same anticipatory rush and gives us a, a dopamine rush, which then drives us to actually the next episode of drug use. So it's quite perfidious in that regard. The, our ability to remember previous dopamine rushes then perpetuates dopamine rushes. The second trigger I want to talk about is stress. In the brain, we basically have there's, there's a three, three parts of the brain that, that mediate addiction in its widest context. So we have the drug-liking part of the brain, which is mediated by the striatum. We have the withdrawal part of the brain, which is mediated by the extended amygdala, including the habenula. 
and then we have the the lack of decision making or the the inappropriate decision making and the impulsivity as uh, which is a uh, dysfunction in the uh, prefrontal cortex now we we have we've described dopamine as the reward system but craving and withdrawal activate the anti-reward system right so and remember this is found in the extended amygdala which includes the habenula so this part of the brain is activated and its only purpose is to make us feel awful when we are going through craving and withdrawal so not only do we have the absence of pleasure because we've got no more dopamine but we also have the active uh, the, the active function of our brain that makes us feel terrible and that's called the stress response so not only do we have the, the lack of pleasure we also have heightened stress during a withdrawal of which contributes to craving so the, the any time we are stressed when we are in recovery that that stress has the ability to actually trigger a relapse all right and it's not just poor decision making it's not just weak willed people who are in recovery their brains actively make them feel awful especially when they are stressed and the only thing that relieves them sometimes is going back into drugs and so that's why it's so hard sometimes to help people maintain abstinence and the key thing for that is to provide them with enough resilience enough psychosocial interventions enough psychosocial support that they can manage their stress because you know you can't escape stress you know we all have stress we all have bad days but we need to teach our patients how to manage stress so that we don't get that acute anti-reward stress response that triggers a relapse that's fascinating and it really does show what an insidious disease uh, opioid use disorder is yeah. both in the way that uh, it rewards our body but then punishes the body when the previous conditioning that someone with opioid use disorder has with chronic opioid use is suddenly taken away you're really exactly. fighting both your body and your psyche really uh, with exactly. opioid use disorder Yes, exactly. I like your use of the word punish. It really is that the brain is punishing you because you're not feeding it uh, dopamine. So not only do you have the absence of joy, but you have the experience of pain because your brain is punishing you. I, I like that. I like that uh, statement that you made. Yeah. So in the episode today, we've talked about dependency. We've talked about addiction. We've talked about opioid use disorder as per the DSM-5. And we've talked about the criteria for opioid use disorder, as well mm. as what happens on both a biopsychosocial uh, frame when you have opioid use disorder, as well as what happens inside your brain when you've got opioid use disorder. Is there anything else that you feel we should cover, Fergal, in, in this episode? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's important to highlight the existence of an alternative diagnostic system, which is the ICD-11. Um, and I think we, we need to understand that DSM-5 did away with the diagnosis of addiction and it changed addiction to substance use disorder. Whereas ICD-11 developed the idea of uh, dependence as a diagnosis. Now, in our discussions so far, I have emphasized that dependence is just a short-lasting phenomenon 
uh, and in the context of opioid dependence, it's only five to seven days long, usually. And we have explained how addiction is greater than dependence. Well, ICD, and that, that, that's all based on DSM-5. ICD-11's diagnosis of dependence incorporates both the physiological features of tolerance and withdrawal, but also all of the psychosocial dysfunction within the global diagnosis of drug dependence. So again, this highlights the need to be clear on our vocabulary, because according to ICD-11, dependence is the entire condition. Whereas according to um, uh, DSM-5, dependence is really just you know, the, the physiological criteria of tolerance and withdrawal. So if we look at ICD-11, the criteria for drug dependence are, first of all, you have to have uh, symptoms over time. So that can be daily symptoms over, uh, over three months or symptoms within a year then you have a dysregulation of consumption, you have a drive to consume, you have a lack of internal control, and drug use is associated with ongoing harm, so that, that alludes to the ill health and the hazards that we were speaking about in DSM-5. And then we have priority, we have saliency, so our activities are, are, are focused back onto drug seeking, drug using, and recovering from drug use as a priority. And then we have um, craving, and we have the physiological criteria of tolerance and withdrawal. So, you know, there are fewer criteria, and in fact, ICD-11 doesn't actually give us a list of criteria, it gives us a description, because it's more of a descriptor kind of based diagnostic classification rather than dot points for uh, criteria that DSM-5 uses. That's really useful, Fergal. And I think this episode for me has highlighted the importance of terminology and being really strict about what you're talking about. I find, and I'm accusing myself here of being guilty of this as well, sometimes we throw words around like dependence or addiction or this person's dependent or this person's addicted, but our terminology can sometimes be a bit loose and we really need to be quite strict with what we're saying and mm. mean what we say. And I find uh, going through the DSM manual itself nowadays, as well as the ICD-11 um, criteria, is very useful in organising my thinking and making me clearer about what exactly I'm dealing with and what exactly I'm treating. Has that been your case scenario as well? Absolutely. And I think, I think it's important to understand that not everyone who uses drugs becomes dependent. And not everyone who's dependent on drugs has got a use disorder or is addicted. And we need to understand that addiction, neither, addiction is not a valid diagnosis now, neither in ICD-11 nor in DSM-5. So we, when we say addict or addiction, we need to be very careful as to, you know, as to the context within which we use those words and what exactly do we mean. Um, and so, again, words have power, the pen is mightier than the sword. That's an excellent place to round out the episode for today. Thanks again for your company, Fergal, and thank you, listener and viewer, for your company. Bye for now. Bye.